Tonight we're kicking off a series called Summer Nights, and, and we really want to just set this vibe. And oh, I love what you guys did with the lights. You, you, match, you match the lights to the graphic. Did you just do it right now, or did you like, was that earlier? Did you plan it? Just the Holy Spirit spoke to you and was like, switch the lights to this. My, no, when the Holy Spirit talks to me, it sounds like Darth Vader. Of course, my Darth Vader sounds like 12-year-old Darth Vader still going through puberty. His, like, voice is still cracking and stuff. It's not intimidating. Yeah, that looks awesome. But we wanted to set sort of a, a summer night's vibe because here's what, this, here's what this series is all about. You might be like, all right, but, like, what does this have to do with the Bible? What, is, what does summer nights have to do with the Bible? Absolutely nothing at all. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, so you ever, um, here's the thing about summer nights. What happens often in summer nights, and let me just put it this way. How many people already, towards the beginning of summer right now, you've been up past 2 a.m. already? That's what's up? Past 3 a.m.? Y'all like, yo, this is rookie stuff, Corey. Who has been up, who has been up um, to the point where, before you went to sleep, the sun came up. Come on now. You ever hang out with that friend who, who you're like, you're hanging out late and you're like, hey, yo, tomorrow you trying to go to IHOP? And they're like, uh, you mean today? And you're like, okay, first of all, we haven't gone to sleep and the sun hasn't come up yet, okay? Until one of those things count, it's still tomorrow. Like, I don't care that it's after midnight, like, right? Uh, the weirdest things, like, set me off. Um, but, 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 but what happens so often, I think, especially in summer nights, is, is you'll be hanging out with friends and, or, or you'll be all alone at home. And for whatever reason, you stay up late at night. And sometimes you find yourself, I don't know if you're like me, you find yourself um, like laying in bed, wide awake, and it's like two or three in the morning. And then the most random thoughts start going through your head, right? You're like, you're like wait, wait. Was the, was the milk past the expiration date? And is the expiration date the time that you need to eat it by or drink it by? Or is the expiration date just like when they have to sell it by? Is the, is like, is the, you know, the speed limit things that you come up to and it says like 30 miles an hour around the turn, right? But the speed limit in that area is 50. So you're like, is the 30 just a suggestion or do I have to go 30? Could I do 50 around the corner? You like start thinking, or, or you think like maybe sometimes summer nights, you and your friends, who loves to go, like, go to the park, lay on the grass, and just stare at the stars? Come on. Like, I am a sucker for it. Temez and I, we were, in, we were in Maasai Mara, Kenya, Africa, and we were walking back to our cabin, thingamajig. And I say cabin, thingamajig, because it was basically like a tarp wrapped around, like, in a circle. And so it was dope. It was dope. Dude, it was a five-star tent. They told us you're going to be staying in tents. These were not just, it had like plumbing and like a shower. It was nice, bro. It was nice. But the first night that we were there, it was literally like a resort in the middle of the safari. And we walk and we're about to walk in the door. And I just glance up and I'm like, Temez. And we just stood there for not even kidding, man, like 30, 45 minutes just like, you know that when the, the term speechless, like this was one of the only times I think like we were actually speechless. We were blown away at the stars. And, and that like late summer night, we started like, how big is the universe? Like how far does space go? Like did God like Saturn and that's why he put a ring on it? Like I'm not sure. 
Christian jokes, they're the best and the worst at the same. And then you start, but you really start thinking like, man, like, how long has the galaxy and the world been around? And, you know, how long will it be around? And some scientists say that that space is like the universe is actually expanding. And you're just staring at the stars with your friends. And you're like, if you're, if you're a guy, you're like trying not to cry. And you just hit him with, dude. Like they say something super deep. Like, like, like dude, how big is space like we are just one galaxy among hundreds of trillions of galaxies with hundreds of trillions of stars in these hundreds trillions of galaxies we are so small and you're like dude right you're like oh my or or, or maybe your summer nights who loves the beach come on now like love the beach. I don't know. I legit, I don't know how somebody can sit on the West Coast, best coast, and stare out at the Pacific Ocean and watch the sun set and see that beauty and go, yeah, there's no God. Like, I don't know how anybody can do that. And what happens, I feel so often in the midst of summer nights is that whether you're up late all alone at 2 a.m. with the craziest, wildest thoughts and questions going through your mind, or you're, you're laying at the park with your friends, staring at the stars, wondering how massive the universe is, or you're watching a sunset at the beach, I think summer nights just does something to your soul. And you start asking these questions, and, and then... The, and then the questions lead to more questions, which lead to more questions, which lead to crazy conversations. And, and what happens is that so often your imagination runs wild and, and wonder is birthed in your heart. And I love that about Summer Nights. And, and that is really what this series is inspired by. It's inspired by this, this idea of Summer Nights. We've, we've already had a couple of these conversations over the past couple of weeks around here at the church. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were in the auditorium. And, and someone goes... You know, God, God is forever. Like, he'll never come to an end. But, but God also never had a beginning. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm okay with eternity in that direction. Like, from now until forever, no problem. Like, I'm cool with that never ending. But that way is like, there was no beginning for God. Like, that's, cr that's so hard for me to understand. And it just, like, gets my, my imagination running wild. And then someone goes, wait. But if God had no beginning, then what does it mean in Genesis 1, the first words in the Bible where it says, in the beginning? What does that even mean? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like first of all, it's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I haven't eaten anything yet. I've only had one coffee. You can't drop this on me right now. And, and I love those type of conversations. And I hope that this series really does that for you, for your friends. I hope that this conversation that we have tonight and, and next week really does spark more conversations with you at coffee shops and with your connect group leaders. Tonight, after this, this conversation, go find you, if you, have, if you have questions, if you wanna go deeper into the conversation, go find your connect group leaders. Go find them and ask them more questions. And that's one of the reasons why I love we're kinda just chilling on the floor. And no, tonight, I'm not gonna preach much. Those of you who know me, you know that that I'm white, but I wish I was black, and I preach like I'm black, but I got myself a stool just because I know I'm going to teach more than I'm going to preach, and it's kind of ironic that, uh, like, this will probably be the most, like, philosophical, intellectual sort of talk that I've given in a long time, and it's, like, on that night that I'm wearing shorts and, like, two socks and a backwards hat. Like, I, like I should have dressed more sophisticated or something for this conversation, but, you know, like, like, I love that we're sitting on the floor because it kind of sets this tone for the conversation 
that we're about to have. And I hope that this conversation leads to more conversations. Earlier I started, I threw out, um, there's a handful of people uh, who just like invaded my wife's office here at the church. And, and I went over and I, and I asked them like a random question, uh, that the, the, the question that I'm going to be asking you tonight. Um, and it started this conversation, and I was like super, like we were super busy all week with kids camp and stuff, but like we couldn't help ourselves but to sit for 30, 45 minutes just diving into question. And this question led to another question, which led to this crazy thought, which led to this question, which led to, and I love that, and I hope that that's what happens with this conversation tonight. So our question that we're going to tackle tonight in this week one of Summer Nights is, how do I know God is real? How do I know God is real. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, God. Thank you that, um, that you are real and that you are alive. And God, like Temez said a few moments ago, we don't want just information. We really do want an experience with you. So I pray that that's what would happen tonight. I pray that, that we would encounter you, God. I pray that anybody who, um, who is skeptical, God, or maybe there's atheists in the room or agnostics in the room, I pray, God, that that we would all just have open hearts and, and open minds to what it is that you have to say tonight. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that every single person who volunteered at kids camp, that you would triple the amount of sleep that they get tonight, that if they get four hours, it would feel like 12. God, if they get 10 hours tonight, it would feel like 30 hours. In Jesus' name, amen. Um. So, like, you ever, you ever see someone wearing something and you're like, yeah, that's not real? <laughs> I saw this guy at Forever 21, and he was wearing, have you guys seen the Louis Vuitton Supreme collab sweater? The one that runs for, like, $4,500? I saw a kid wearing this Supreme Louis Vuitton collab sweater, um, and he was shopping at Forever 21. <laughs> like... Did you, are you like so broke now after that sweater that you, you, it's the only place you could shop now? Or, and he's like looking on the clearance rack too. That was ironic. Like, but, but like immediately I could tell the LVs were not the like actual Louis Vuitton LVs. And I'm like, that's fake. Like right away I knew. Like when you see often, like there's some, there's some like Yeezys that'll look kind of real. By the way, the newest Yeezys are so freaking ugly. Oh my gosh. Like. I love sneakers, but gosh, those things just, they look like a spaceship. Like, they actually just look like a spaceship. Like, you, before you put it on, E.T. is going to come out and be like, hey, hold up, let me get out first. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I was <laughs> going to smush you. And, but you can spot, you can spot a fake, right? So how, how do I know God is real? And I'm not saying I. I that's, a, that's a question I think all of us. So I want this question to be personal to everyone. Turn to your neighbor say, how do I know God is real? To me, that just sounded like, ooh. <laughs> How do I know? So it's not like I'm not like up here as this like pompous, prideful, like, well, I know something you don't know. So how do I know God is real? Let me tell you. That's not like what's going to happen tonight. I'm saying this is a question all of us have asked. Now, for some of you who, who grew up in church, some of you all grew up in church and and you've had these two o'clock in the morning all by yourself, alone in your room, thoughts like, what if God's not real? But you never told anybody. Because growing up, you were kind of convinced like, hey, that's called doubt. 
and you can't doubt. If you doubt, you're going to go to hell. Like, you're like, ah, I can't ever tell anyone I've ever had these thoughts. Let me tell you, if you've ever had thoughts where you've doubted the existence of God, you are what we call normal. It's okay. Can we all just get rid of the pretend that, like, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but none of us wake up, walk on water, like go to the kitchen, turn the water into orange juice, and like none of us are living that life. We all have doubts. And furthermore, I think, I really believe that God gives room for doubt. Those of you who grew up in, in, uh, in church and you were in kids' church and stuff, uh, you know, no doubt you've heard the story of doubting Thomas. Right? There's this guy in the Bible, for those of you who didn't grow up in church, I did not grow up in church either, I didn't know Doubting Thomas, and I'm like, well, gosh dang, Christians, like, you're like being savage as heck to poor Thomas, like, one day you guys are going to get to heaven, and Thomas is going to be like, hey, that's a messed up, man, 2,000 years you're calling me Doubting Thomas for one moment, right? And, but here's the thing, here's why, here's why we call him Doubting Thomas, because, um, there's a guy named Jesus who claimed to be the son of God, who claimed to be the Messiah. This guy got crucified. He died. And then he actually rose from the dead with help from nobody else. Now, let me just say, if anybody ever, like, prophesies their own death and resurrection and then with help from nobody else accomplishes that, just go with whatever that guy says, right? Like, whatever he says, go with that because that's a G right there. And so, so... Like, what happens is that a couple of the disciples and a couple ladies, they see the risen Christ. They see Jesus resurrected from the dead. And then, and then all the other guys who were super scared that, like, dang, they killed Jesus. They're probably going to kill us, too. Let's go into hiding. They're in hiding, and they're at this house with the door locked. And a couple of the disciples are like, hey, we saw Jesus. Jesus is alive. And Thomas goes, hey, I'll believe it when I see it. That's what he says. He says, I'll believe it. When I see, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I have proof and I can put my fingers in the holes of his hands because Jesus was crucified and had holes in his He said, I'll believe the, the last thing that happens in crucifixion is one of the Roman soldiers would take a spear and shove it right under the rib cage of the victim to make sure that they were dead. He said, I'll believe it when I can see and touch the actual wound in Jesus' side. And like a freaking Jedi, Jesus walks through the locked door. Like he doesn't, he, it's like the locked door doesn't open. He walks through the locked door because he's Jesus and he does stuff like that. And without even hearing the conversation, he goes to Thomas and he says, he says, hey, Thomas, um, so like, check this out. And then Thomas is like, whoa, whoa, like, who? And he's like, hey, you see the wound in the side? He got me, he got me good, man. Like, check it. And then, he, and then Thomas is like, whoa, I believe. And can I tell you, like, we gave Thomas this, like, savage label of doubting Thomas. But go and, read, go and read the story. Go and read Jesus' response to him. Jesus never rebukes Thomas. Jesus never says, Thomas, I can't believe you would ask for proof, you idiot. Like, you fool. Like, you should have just believed, you dummy. No, he never rebukes Thomas. He never, Jesus never tells Thomas, you're now doubting Thomas, and for the rest of all time, all Christians are going to call you this. Jesus never calls him that. He never rebukes him for, for asking for proof. All Jesus says is, hey, so you believe because you've seen. 
but blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. Basically saying, yeah, like, it's fine that you ask for the proof, but there's going to be a lot of people from now until the end of time that will believe and will never actually see me with their physical eyes. And there is a special blessing for those people who have a sort of sense of blind faith. I think that God, I think that Jesus actually gives room for asking for proof, for this sort of, I guess what we would call doubting. And furthermore, I've heard, we actually had this conversation today in the office, and, and someone said, well, I've, I've heard like, don't, don't put God to the test and, and don't question God. Now, I think that those are two separate things, testing God and questioning God. We're not going to talk about testing God right now. All I'll say is like, if a little ant walked up to you and was like, hey, like, prove to me you're stronger than me, you'd be like, all right, like, done deal, you know, that's that. Like, but this is us going to the creator of the universe going, prove to me your existence. And God's like, uh, who are, like, who are we to really go to the creator of the universe and say, be my show monkey. Like, do something to prove yourself. Like, that is just, that's pride. And the Bible talks about how we need to come to God in humility, right? So we'll talk, we, we could talk about that later. Maybe that's a conversation to have with your connect group leaders later. But, but that's testing God. Questioning God, I actually think God is okay with you questioning him. There, there's a story in the Old Testament um, about a horrible, horrible place called Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the worst possible place that you could think of. It was so bad that God was like, man, this place needs to get wiped out. I'm not cool with this place. They're, they're killing each other. They're doing terrible things. And so he goes and he talks to the only, the only like solid dude, the only dude of faith there, a guy named Abraham. He says, Abraham, um, I want you to grab all your family and get out of Sodom and Gomorrah because Sodom and Gomorrah is about to get leveled. I'm going to snap my fingers and that thing is going to turn to dust. Like that's what's about to happen. And so, and so Abraham goes, okay, wait, 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 God. But first, like what if I could find 50 righteous people? Immediately he questions God. He says, God, what if I could find 50 righteous people? And I love God's response. Uh, if, if you, if you want to look it up, it's in... It's in Genesis chapter 18. I'm not, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to go read it later, read in Genesis chapter 18. And, and what happens is that, is that um, Abraham says, what if I find 50 righteous people? And God's like, okay, so if you find 50 righteous people, cool. Absolutely, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, okay, what about 45? Like, you ever, you ever tell your mom and dad, like, hey, they're like, be home at 10. And you're like, how about 1030? And they're like, all right, 1030. You're like, 1045, like, and you're just like pushing it, and they're like, don't push it. You're like, okay, for sure. But God doesn't look at him and go, hey, don't push it. He doesn't. He's like, what about 45? He's like, okay, 45. What about 40? He's like, okay, 40. What about 35? And he's like, okay, 35. He's like, what about, what about 20? And he gets all the way down to 10. And not once does God say, Abraham, you idiot, just do what I told you. In fact, no, forget you, Abraham. Boom, you're dust now. I'll find someone else to do what I'm trying to get done. He doesn't do that. In fact, it kind of seems like God encourages Abraham's critical thinking. So many people want to say like, oh, if you become Christian, you have to live by this blind faith and you can't question anything. And the, those Christians, they're like robots. I think it's the exact opposite. I think that God actually encourages critical thinking, processing, and even questioning him at times. But at the end of the day, what then happens is Abraham says, you asked me to do it, so I'll do it. I think that there is room for doubt. There is room for questioning. And so when we ask this question, how do I know God is real? Know that if you've had that question, you're not like, if you're like laying in bed and you're like, that thought goes through your head like, 
what if none of this is real? And then you're like, no, no, I just lost my salvation. Like, if I die right now, I'm not going to heaven. That's not how it works. Something that I love is, um, uh, this is the last thing, then we'll get into it. I got four, four ways that I know God is real. Um, the last thing is, there's a story in the New Testament. It's in Mark chapter 23. You don't have to turn there. You go read it later. Um, I'm trusting you with a lot of Bible reading later, guys. You're going to have to really go search this stuff. Um, but, but what happens is this guy goes to Jesus, and, and he asks Jesus for this specific miracle. And the way he words it is, Jesus, if you can. And Jesus is like, if I can? Like, have you heard about the things I can do? And I love Jesus' response. He says, he says, haven't you heard that all things are possible to those who believe? And I love this guy's response. The guy's response is, Jesus, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Isn't that like a really weird, like, way to respond? Like, I believe that help me with my unbelief. Like, it would be like if, if my wife Amber was like, hey, Corey, do you love me? And I was like, I, I do. I love you. Help me with the ways that I don't love you. <laughs> the guys laughed. The girls were like, that's his last day on earth. <laughs> right? like, it, it was such a weird response. I kind of see this guy as like, okay, Jesus, well, I believe, and here's my belief, but I also have this, this over here. I have this unbelief. Can you help me with this? so that we can stand on this? See, because every single one of us have doubt, and what he does is he brings both to the table, and he doesn't try to deny. He doesn't go, yeah, no, I believe 100%. He didn't even put a percent on it. He's just like, I got both, Jesus. I got faith, and I got doubt. Would you help me with the doubt so that we can lean on the faith? And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't get mad at him. He doesn't go, nope, come back when you got 100% belief and no unbelief. No, he actually performs the exact miracle the guy asks him to perform. See, we all come to God with this sort of, I have belief and unbelief. So whatever you've been told about, like, you can't question God. You can't ask questions. If you, if is God real is found in your Google history and when you face God, you're not getting in. That's just not true. And I think God gives room for that. Amen? All right. That's just my intro, guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're going to be good. The rest of this is actually pretty, pretty quick. All right. So four points tonight, if you're taking notes, four points of how I know God exists. Number one, existence. Existence. Again, who, who, who's like, you love the beach. You're all about the beach. Let's go. <clears throat> Anybody surf? You surf? Come talk to me afterwards, man. I need to find new surfing buddies. Um, imagine this. Imagine you're, um, um, does anybody have like an old school watch on? Oh, does anybody have a pocket watch? That would be better. No. Uh, oh, I thought you didn't know what a pocket watch was. I was like, it's a watch that goes, you have a pocket watch, David? My freaking man. Let's go, David. First of all, pocket watches are freaking G. Like, G oh, and it's hooked to stuff and everything. Dude, let's go, David. Give it up for my dude, David Dubin. No sweat, dude. We'll wait here all day. It's worth it. Man, don't show off the goods to the ladies, dude. What are you doing? I'll help block you, man. We don't want nobody stumbling around here. You got it? No sweat? You're good? It's on its way. 
I believe in you. We got all night, man. It's summer. I still got 29 minutes and 34 seconds. That's actually not my real time. It started over, so I'm calculating that in my head. But you guys know how bad at math I am. I'll just take this. I don't need that. So imagine you're at the beach, right? And, and you're walking up. By the way, like how much, like you could do this. Or like out of like your blazer in a super sick suit, you can be like. Like how much cooler was that? Like, so imagine you're walking up the beach and in the sand, you just see this pocket watch, like just sitting in the sand and you walk up and you're like, whoa, man, like this is really, really cool. And then immediately, like someone comes up and says, hey, now it's your responsibility to find out where that came from. Like it's origin. It's like, how does this thing exist? You know the last thing, you, you, like far, far, far from the first thing that you would ever think is, I bet this thing created itself. I bet it like got all like the, the hands and the numbers and the metal and the little contraption that opens and all the gears and everything. I bet all of those just came together all by themselves and by its own doing it created itself and started ticking on its own and then placed itself into the sand for me to find it. You know what we call those people? Yeah, thank you. I wasn't going to say it because we podcast and a bunch of atheists that watch our podcast would get mad at me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Right, like, what would you think? Your, your first thought would likely be watchmaker, clockmaker, a creator. Can I tell you that creation points to a creator? If you see a painting, you're like, there's a painter somewhere. There's an artist somewhere. You don't listen to a song and think to yourself, the song is singing itself. No, there is a singer. By the way, who saw that Justin Bieber got engaged? <laughs> Ladies, my heart was as broken as yours. I, <laughs> Did you guys see what he posted on Instagram like about it? And he, he quoted the Bible verse that uh, uh, um, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Like, man, like all the married men said, amen. <laughs> Joey Sims, you better be super loud right now. There you are, buddy, newlywed. Um, like you don't hear a song and think this thing wrote itself. Like the guitars are playing themselves. No, of course not. You think like, like this creation has a creator. Now, I believe that creation points to a creator. Romans uh, chapter 1 verse 20, it says, um, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they clearly see his invisible qualities. So what we can see proves to us what we can't see. Though we can't see God with our physical eyes, what we can see, creation, helps us to see the invisible creator. It's like, um, like, it's like, like every theory, have you noticed, like those of you who go to this place called school for 14 hours a day, have you noticed that every theory of existence, that the creation theories all start with, with existence already being in existence? Take the Big Bang Theory, for example, probably one of the most popular explanations for existence. Well, they say there was, uh, there was particles, substance, and matter floating through space, chemicals that came together, and it caused a combustion that created the universe. Fantastic. I'm fine with the Big Bang. I think it was a super Big Bang when God created the universe. I'm so okay with that. Um, but, like, where did the particles come from that were floating around? Where, where did the substance come from? Furthermore, they were floating around in space, so where'd the space come from? Right, like, it was already floating in space. Summer night thoughts, guys. <laughs> Get comfortable. Oh, like, oh, gosh. 
Wait, it's okay. So if it's floating in space, then existence is already in, ex in existence, and this is not a theory of existence. This is just a theory of the creation of our universe, not the origin of existence. Now, now here's we're gonna go a little bit deeper. So junior hires, let's go. Come on, stick with us, junior hires. So our our universe, it's um, it's dictated by the laws of nature and physics. There's rules essentially to our um to our, our universe. For example, the law of gravity, what goes up must come, right? So we all know that. There's really very little, um, there's very little ways in which this can be broken. And it can be broken temporarily, of course, by airplanes and stuff. But as soon as that thing runs out of fuel, what went up is going to come down. That's how the law of gravity works. And there's a bunch of other laws. One of the laws of our universe is that something cannot come from nothing. In fact, there are, there are scientists throughout the world who are promising upwards of $100 billion to anybody who can create something out of nothing, and nobody can do it. Nobody. And so um, a lot of atheists that I'll talk to, because I love, I love sitting down with people that don't believe what I believe and having conversations with them, typically around like a very strong Americano, like quad shot with no added creamer or sweeteners, and you go to town on that thing, and you get into huge conversations, right? Like, and they'll, they'll typically ask me, okay, here's the only issue, Corey. You're not playing by your own rules, because you say that, that something can't come from nothing, but God is something and he must have come from nothing, which I will say, no, God never came from anything. God has always existed. He was never created. Someone asked the other day when we were having this conversation, did God have a mom? Like, no, God, God has always existed. Now, now here's the only logical explanation for how existence exists in a universe that is governed by the laws of physics and nature. One of the laws being that something cannot come from nothing. It's that Someone or something outside of this universe who is not dictated or governed or under the laws of this universe had a part to play in creating it. Does that make sense? Junior hires are like, no, but I'm, I'm going to sit here for a while. And here's, here's, here's what I'm saying. It, that someone or something that is not bound by the limitations that this universe is bound by had to have a part to play in creation. And, and, and for some of you, you're like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like my head is about to explode with this. It's really, it's actually not that uncommon or foreign of a concept. In fact, we can, we can, we can really, I, didn't, I was about to say dumb it down, and now I've already said it, so now it's out there. Um, we can even dumb it down to very simple terms. Who's watching the World Cup right now? Yeah. So um, when, it comes to, when it comes to soccer, soccer, God bless you guys who can watch soccer. Like, I just watch soccer highlights. God, there's like, they're just running for so long. And then one of them gets hit, and the guy's like, ah, and he's like, are you like going back to your home country by rolling? Because you're rolling so far, like, Calmed. And then you watch, like, I watch a lot of hockey, so I'm like, you see hockey guys get smacked in the face with a stick, and they're just like, spit out their tooth and keep playing. Like, it's rough. Um, anyways, so, so in the same way that, the, 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 that this world has laws, and, and there must have been someone or something that was involved in the creation of this world that's not under those same rules, it's as easy as this. In the game of soccer, there is one person on the field that doesn't, that doesn't play by the same rules, that rules in the game don't apply to him like they do to everybody else. He's called the goalie, 
right? So if a soccer ball comes his way and he grabs it with his hands, no problem. If anybody else does that, everyone yells, manos. And that means hands in Spanish, white folks. Um, he is not under the same rule. See, it's actually, it's really not that uncommon to us. God, who, does, who is not under the rules, the laws of physics, the laws of nature, had a part to play. If, if you step outside of Christianity in the scientific world, this is a theory called intelligent design. Essentially that an intelligent designer, aka God, had a part to play in creation. I believe one of the ways in which we know that God is real is by existence. You would never walk up to a pocket watch on the beach and go, must have created itself. No, you would think watchmaker. When you look at you, you think, I'm a creation. We have existence. There must be a creator. Amen? Hey, I'm having fun with this. We got, we got a couple more points to go. Here we go. Number two, morality. Morality. For those of you who don't know what morality is, morality is the basic concept of right and wrong. Good versus evil. I suggest to you that without God in the picture, there is no right or wrong. There is no good or evil. Let me, let me put it this way. Is murder wrong? Okay. Is murder always wrong? You don't think so? Okay. Let me, okay. Okay. Let me, let me, let me then, this takes a little bit of um, defining. Murder, so, so there's a difference between murdering someone and killing someone. Okay. So, for example, if somebody is trying to murder my wife, that person's dead. Like, right? Like, and would that I wouldn't be charged with murder. Killing someone isn't murder. In the same way that I've had, I've had people who I've been very close with who have come to me. I had friends who went to Iraq, and in Iraq, because they, by their country, were called to go into what's called war, they ended up killing someone. And they came to me um, with a heavy conscience saying, Corey, I feel like a murderer. What do you think? What does the Bible have to say? And I say, well, there's a big difference between what you as an individual can decide to do and what an entire country can decide to do. You're not a murderer. So murdering is killing someone for personal gain and selfish reasons, okay? Does that make sense? I want what you have, so I'm going to kill you. For no reason, like, you're basically, you're making me mad, so I'm going to kill you. Let me, let me put it this way. It's the Holocaust, was the Holocaust wrong? Yes, of course. Now, the Holocaust is wrong every time, no matter the conversation, no matter the country in, you're in, no matter where you're at, for the, next, for the last hundred years it's been wrong, for the next hundred years it's going to be wrong, it will always be wrong. But take God out of, the, out of the picture, and we now don't have what's called absolute truth. We have what's called subjective truth, meaning what's right for you is not necessarily right for me. See, because if there is no God, we can sit here and argue like, hey, I think it's fine to run over little kitty cats with my car. And you're like, uh, no, that's not okay. And I'm like, no, 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 cats suck. And I think we should run them over. I don't think we should run cats over with our cars. By the way, let me just preface this moment with that. But you and I, we could sit here and argue left and right and left and right and back and forth and back and forth. And we can sit here with two different opinions about what's right and what's wrong. So at the end of the day, who, who's right? If we disagree, who's right? For example, if you or I or any of us sat down with Adolf Hitler in the planning sessions of the Holocaust and said, dude, this is freaking evil, he would have he told you by 
recordings, by historical recordings that we know, even from his own autobiography called Mein Kampf, he thought he was doing the will of God. He thought that he was carrying out God's will. Now, you and I would be like, dude, you're out of your mind. You're freaking crazy. This is evil. You can't do this. And he'd be like, no, this is good. And he'd be like, no, it's not. It's wrong. He's like, no, it's right. So at the end of the day, which one of you would be right? You just, you have a different opinion. And you're both two humans. Neither of you are greater than the other. Actually, in that situation, if you were in Germany at the time, he would have been greater because he had authority and you didn't. But we know that that's wrong. You know how we know that's wrong? Because God says that's wrong. You have a sense of morality in you. And how do you explain that? How do you explain the fact that you know right from wrong, and for the most part, you don't even have to be told right from wrong. You just know right from wrong. For example, a second ago, I said, I said, we should run over little kitty cats in our cars. Most of you have never heard that statement, and it's shocking that you heard it for the first time in church. Um, but immediately, you knew that was wrong. If I told you, we, we should go find like every single foreign exchange student and shove a toothpick through their eye. You'd be like, uh, see? Now here's, here's why I said that. Here's why I said that. I'm making a point. Track with me here. None of you in this room have ever heard that statement, find foreign exchange students and stick a toothpick through their eye. But all of you knew it was wrong. Even though you've never heard, no one's ever walked up to you and taught you that's wrong. How did you know it was wrong? Because you have inside you what's called morality. Because when God created you, he didn't just say, there you are. He didn't do what he did with the animals. He breathed his life in you. So you have a piece of God in you. And God is absolutely 100% good. There is no evil in God. So there is this, what's, what we call, what we, what we bring down to what's called a conscience inside of you. No one has to teach you right from wrong. You know right from wrong, even when no, when no one's given you the specifics. Now, here's one of the things I've heard atheists say. I've heard atheists say that a conscience and morality is actually just the next step in evolution. Well, the reason that we have, uh, that we have a conscience and that we have morality and we know right from wrong is because of evolution. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. We're not going to dig into this at all. It's just a really, really, really sweet mini, uh, mini documentary on YouTube. It's about 45 minutes long. It's called God versus Evolution Movie. The YouTube uh, account is called Living Waters. Go watch that. It's really, really cool. The guy actually does most of his interviews um, over at Huntington Beach. He's a really interesting guy. Go, go check that out. But, but, um, but a lot of atheists will say, well, 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 morality is just the next step in evolution. Now, here's why I would disagree with that. Number one, morality does not carry out what evolution carries out. Evolution always, 100% of the time, favors survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest, which means the weak die out and the strongest survive. Now, any one of us, the, we have people who have been doing kids camp this week, any one of us, if we saw a kid run to Calistoga and we chase them down and we see a big rig coming up the road and this thing's going to hit the kid and your decision is I can push the kid out of the way and cost myself my life, myself as a, for some of you adults, for some of you teenagers, I can cost myself my life to save this little kid and give him more time on earth. I guarantee just about every single one of us in there would jet into the middle of the road and push the kid out of the way. That's not survival of the fittest. Morality does not come by evolution, right? Like, like and, 
And here's the other reason why I think that evolution does not produce morality. Now, let's just for a second, and I know some of you are going to be like, oh, he's a heretic. Like, what? Let's for a second, just all of us, let's just step out of our Christian bubbles, and let's step into the bubble of someone who would be um, an evolutionist. Um, and I'm going to specifically... I'm going to specifically talk about um, um, people who are Darwinists because you guys know evolution and Darwinism are two different things. If you deny evolution, you're just denying facts. Evolution is absolutely 100% true. It happens. You see it all the time. Adaptation. We have evolved. Like, we've evolved as humans. Now, <laughs> King Kong is not your great, 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 great grandpa. There's a difference between evolution and evolution by a changing of kinds. See, what we've never, ever, ever, ever seen is like a dolphin become a cat or, or a dog become an eagle. We've never seen that happen. That's called, that's called macroevolution. You, you know that nobody ever once, there's not one example of observable evidence of evolution defined by a changing of kinds. No one's ever seen it. In fact, the, the most recent, uh, re the most re recent theories of something changing kinds is hundreds of millions of years ago. And atheists will be like, oh no, you Christians, like you have so much faith to believe in something that you can't see. And I'm like, you're believing in stuff that you can't see. Be being a Darwinist takes a lot of faith. But evolution by like adaptation and stuff, it's, it's real, it happens all the time. But let's for a second step into the, the Darwin um, bubble. And, and let's just believe for a second that uh, changing of kinds has happened and it's, and it's real and, you know, there's a bunch of different uh, things that ev have evolved into other things and that the world is, is hundreds and hundreds of billions of years old, right? So if we step into that world, what we then see is that we are not the most, um, we are not the furthest along in evolution. And actually as a species, apparently humans are very, 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 very young. You know one of the things that are way, way, way further ahead of us in evolution is crocodiles. Crocodiles are actually like walking dinosaurs. And you know why, why they're walking dinosaurs and they've survived for so long? Because essentially, based on evolution, they are perfected. They are way further down the road of evolution than we are. So if morality, if knowing right from wrong is a step in evolution, why don't crocodiles display morality? If they're further along in evolution than we are, why don't, they, why don't they show, like, compassion? You know crocodiles will literally eat their babies. Well, wait, wait, but if they're further along in evolution, like a great white shark, you know, great white sharks, again, another thing that on this planet are, they're, 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 they're a uh, alpha predator, is that, what, is that the term? Alpha predator. Meaning that there's really nothing else except for killer whales. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos where killer whales fight? Ooh, it's dope. Um, anyways, <laughs> like there's nothing that, that great whites fear, essentially. Why? Because based on evolution, they're essentially perfect. But if they're perfect by evolution and morality is another step in evolution, why, why don't great whites have morality? Why don't they know right from wrong? Because, because morality and right from wrong doesn't come from evolution. It comes from God. And that's why you and I have it, because God breathed into us. Take God out of the picture, and there is no such thing. There is no such thing as right and wrong. And see, this is why I believe that so much of the world is trying to convince you that King Kong is your great, 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 great grandpa. 
Because they want, they want to take and dumb down our value to that of animals. Why? Because if we're just animals and we're not human, then there's no such thing as inhumane. And things that are not okay become okay. Now, here's how this is a plot of Satan. This is the plot of the enemy. There's things that some guys in this room have looked at on their phones that is inhumane. And you've tried to convince yourself that looking at that stuff is okay. And you say, well, everybody else looks at it. You know why? Because everybody else just thinks, well, we're nothing but a product of evolution and we are just animals. All of a sudden, things that are inhumane become okay. This is why Hitler carried out the Holocaust, because he said, you know what? The Jews are nothing but what he called rats. You can't be inhumane to a rat. See, you're not just an animal. You are a living, breathing soul with God in you who's placed morality in you. One of the ways I think that, that we know God is real is existence, but also morality, knowing right from wrong. Because without God, there is no right and wrong. Number three, evidence that we have. There's evidence. And I want to talk about evidence specifically because we've, we've talked about God, but, you know, you, you go and... Um, you go and you watch like like the Oscars or, or the Grammys and you'll see count you like you'll see like artist after artist after artist after artist get on stage and go, I just want to thank God. It's like, who's God to you? Because I listen to your music and it doesn't seem like you believe in God. You know what I'm saying? Like, so who is God? Are you God? Like, are you your own God? I'm not sure. So like we've talked about God and the existence of God. Let's talk real quick about um about Jehovah, which is the Christian God. Let's talk for a minute about Jesus, who we believe Jesus is God, who God was, um, he was God in the flesh. Let's talk for a quick second about evidence for Jesus. Now, I gave you a YouTube video to go watch for um, most of you. You probably won't um, read this, but, but write this title to this book down. Write down The Case for Christ by a guy named Lee Strobel. It's an incredible book. Most of what I'm about to tell you um, comes from this book. There was a movie made, uh, made from, the, from the book. It's an incredible story of a guy who was a full-blown atheist, and he was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He specialized in studying um, murder cases and figuring out these murder cases, and he took those same exact principles of how he would study and figure out murder cases, and he applied those to studying the life of Jesus and specifically what's called the Gospels, which are the four, the four first books in the New Testament, which are basically biographies about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So from that, here's some, here's some specific evidence that we have for God, for Jesus. Uh, number one, let me ask you this. Uh, in, in a murder case, do you know how many witnesses it takes to send your butt to prison? Someone says, I saw them shoot him. How many, how many witnesses would it take to send you to prison? Just one. Just one. You know how many recorded witnesses, eyewitnesses that saw Jesus get crucified, saw Jesus die, and then three days later saw Jesus alive with their eyes. Like I'm just talking to people who saw all of the events with their actual eyes. We have more than 500. More than 500 people who saw Jesus die. This is massive. Did you know that, that even for, like, in, when it comes to ancient historical documents, for, to say, like, like so, um, like, if there was an assassination of a king, how many, how many people, like, do, need, do, do they need to have witness to say that that actually happened? They just need one. And we have 500 
people, both in the, in the Bible and outside of the Bible, both, both, both like Jews and people of faith and followers of Jesus and complete 100% skeptics, people who hated Jesus, confirmed that he actually rose from the dead, over 500. To me, that's astounding. Now, here's another thing. So Jesus had a bunch of disciples. Tonight was ladies' night on the worship team, and this is, this is another ladies' moment. So you know the, the 12 disciples. You know all 12 disciples were dudes. They were all guys, and that's really just because of what culture was at the time. But you know what all of these guys did? So one of them betrays Jesus. One of them betrays him, sells him out for some money, and that dude goes, and he couldn't handle the guilt, and he actually commits suicide. And the 11 others, you know what the other 11 do? They run because they're terrified. They go, they killed him, so they're probably going to kill us too. Let's go into hiding. Some of them the next day are like, I guess I'll just go back to work. They didn't grab me last night. They might not grab me today. I guess I'll just go back to work. And the rest of them are all hiding. They're terrified. They're scared. They're, let's call it what it is, essentially cowards. Now fast forward just a few days, just a few weeks, those same cowards become absolutely, oh, I, I forgot to tell you, the only people who stuck around were the ladies, just the women. <laughs> the, like the women discovered the tomb empty. Jesus said, hey guys, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back in three days. I'm going to raise from the dead. And, and none of the guys showed up on the third day. Like Mary and Martha showed up and they're like, where is everybody? Like they, he said he'd come back and then he does. And they get to see Jesus like come back for the, and the angel's like, hey, Jesus is back. And they're like, wow, this is dope. Like, oh, this is crazy, right? And all the guys are like either at work like, this fish or they're like hiding under their covers like they're gonna fight me. Like, no. So shout out to the ladies for not being cowards. Um, but the cowards in this story, only days later, only day, days later, begin to live lives willing to be killed for their faith. In fact, all of them, except for only one of them, who died, and the, here, the one that didn't get murdered for his faith, you know how he died? He got, got isolated on an island all by himself and died of old age, like Tom Hanks in Castaway. Like, he, Tom Hanks did not die on the island in Castaway. But like, that, and that was because he was living out his faith. All the rest of them literally got killed for their faith. The history records that some of them got boiled. Some of them one of them, one of them, this, this lady that this uh, official thought was super hot, he was like, man, she does this like sketchy dance for him because there's sketchy dancing in the Bible. That's funny. Um, and, and the guy's like, man, like you're so hot. Like I'll give you anything you want. And she goes, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the dude beheads John the Baptist for her. That's how John the Baptist died for his faith. Stephen, the first one that was recorded to be martyred, you know how he died? He died by people throwing rocks at him. Now, Stephen ran. He ran away. What in the world could have given these guys the confidence and the courage to say, you know what? No, I'll die for this movement. You know what it was? They saw Jesus rise from the dead. Because if you see someone rise from the dead and that person said, don't worry about death. Because after death comes eternity and you're going to spend eternity in paradise. They're going to be like... Actually, no, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. See, and, and here's the thing, is that all these people, and way, way, way more than just the disciples, died for their faith. The persecution of the first century church was insane. It was insane what these people went through. And can I tell you that, that the people who saw Jesus rise from the dead, um, like, you don't, you don't, like, if someone says, hey, jump off this bridge into the water, and you're like, how deep's the water? They're like, Eh, it might be 40 feet, but it might be three. 
you're not jumping, right? Like, you don't risk your life on a maybe. Like, if some, these people in the first century, like, Roman people are coming up to him like, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Did he really raise from the dead? If you say yes, or, or if you say anything but no, like, we're going to kill you. And they're like, oh, did he really? Maybe. And I guess I'll die for a maybe. No. These people were so convinced that Jesus rose from the dead that they gave up their lives. That, in, to me, is incredibly convincing. Next is um, one of the uh, pieces of evidence we have for Jesus is the story that was written. Now, if you, like me, like to have conversations with people who believe stuff that we don't believe, one of the things that you um, have encountered probably is someone that says, well, the Bible's just a bunch of stories that some old dudes made up. Okay. Now, here's the thing. When you really dig into the Bible, one of the things that you will find is that if someone was going to make up a story, they would have made up a different story. For example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were followers of Jesus. Now, all of them record that who discovered the tomb empty? Women. Now, if you're writing a story, you're going to write that you're the hero in your story. I know I would. But these guys were like, we're not making up a story, we're recording events. If they were making up a story, they would have all been the heroes. On top of that, if they were making up a story, there would have been a lot of different details that were different too. For example, the women discovering the tomb empty. Did you know that in the first century that women's testimonies were completely invalid? They meant nothing because there was an incredibly, incredibly sexist culture in first century Rome, in first century Palestine everywhere. That means, ladies, that if, if someone were to rob you and you went to the, to the cops and said, hey, they robbed me. And then they look at the guy and go, did you rob her? And he goes, no. Be like, all right, I guess he didn't rob you. That's how the law worked. And so imagine, imagine people go and they're like, hey, um, Jesus is alive. And they're like, well, how do you know? And they're like, well, um, because two women found the tomb empty. They'd be like, well, women's testimonies don't mean anything. So this doesn't mean anything. But they were so dead set on recording the events in the way that they actually happened that they recorded that among a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of other things. See, if they were making up a story, they would have made up a different story. The Gospels are proof that Jesus really did live. Lastly, uh, proof for Jesus is um, ancient historical writers that wrote about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, here's the thing, is that most people will be like, yeah, but those writers were all followers of Jesus. Yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and also Paul, who wrote Acts and a bunch of the epistles and all this other stuff. Epistles is not a cuss word. It's actually just the word for some books in the Bible. Um, uh, yeah, they were all followers of Jesus. But actually, there's a ton of other historians who were not followers of Jesus who also recorded the life, death, and even the resurrection of Jesus. There's this one guy named Josephus. Now, Josephus was, he was not, he was a historian, so he recorded history. That, 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 that's what his job was. Now, not only was Josephus Jewish, but Josephus was actually employed by Rome. You remember who was killing Christians? It was Rome. You remember who had Jesus crucified? It was the Jewish officials. So if there was any enemy of Jesus that would want to try to deny Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it would be Josephus. And yet Josephus, a historian that was not a follower of Jesus, recorded the life of Jesus. And there's multiple others as well. See, here's the thing, is that if you walked into any well-established educational facility that talked about history, and you walked in and said, Jesus never lived, you would be laughed out of the room. 
Nobody, did you know nobody in, in, in actual credible universities that study history even try to argue the existence of Jesus? Now we have all this other proof to back up the fact that he did live and he did die and he did raise from the dead. And I think that this evidence helps us in answering the question, how do I know God is real? Well, we have existence, we have morality, and we do have evidence. Band, if you guys can head up, I, I want to end the night in worship. The last point tonight is, I mean, you can have, um, you can have, all, yeah, you talk about existence. How did we get here? You don't look at a pocket watch and think it created itself, right? Like, of course, like creation points to a creator, of course, and you could talk about morality, and you could talk about, you could talk about the evidence that we have for the Bible and all this, but can I tell you that nothing, nothing compares to an experience. See, I can, I can tell all of you, I can tell all of you about, about Paris, France, and I can even, I could show you pictures of me in Paris, France. I got to go to Paris one time. It was awesome, but how many know that it's a lot different for me to tell you about Paris and for you to stand under the Eiffel Tower. See, information doesn't bring transformation. Only an experience can do that. Go stand under the Eiffel Tower and it'll do something to you. Go stand at the Louvre and you'll be like, man, I am overwhelmed by how massive the Louvre is. On top of that, like, I mean, you can watch a romantic comedy or you can even listen to somebody's love story, but how many know that there's a big difference between hearing about a love story and falling in love. I mean, there's things that, that you won't experience by hearing a story and hearing information or watching a movie. And then you experience it for yourself, and it's completely different. See, people can argue with information, and people can argue with the Bible, and people can argue with faith, and people, people can argue with your evidence, but you know what people can't argue with? Your story. See, when I was seven years old, my biological father left me, and, and my whole family was destroyed, and I was heartbroken. I was lost. I, I went and I turned to drugs as early as I can remember. In the fifth grade, uh, I started hanging out with people twice my age, trying to steal cars, literally talking about the day I'd be old enough to join the gangs that they were in. I was ruining my life. I was horribly de depressed. I was lonely. I was filled with hatred. And then one day, my friend Kevin started inviting me to a Bible club. And I didn't want to go. And so I told him I would. I just lied to him, and I didn't go. And this went on for weeks, and Kevin just kept asking me over and over and over again, Corey, would you go to the Bible club this week? It's on Friday. Be there. It's at lunchtime. I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. And I never went. One week, he said, Corey, go to the Bible club this week. There's going to be free pizza. And I was like, I'll be there. I promise you can count on me. Like, and I went, and I got free pizza. And this guy talked about someone named Jesus. And he, and he talked about how Jesus took a chance on me. And Jesus paid the price for my mistakes. And then he said something that just made more sense than probably anything to me. He said, he said, if Jesus took a chance on you, why not take a chance on him? What do you have to lose? And he said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just stand up right now. And I mean, the band wasn't playing behind the speaker and there wasn't dimmed nice lights and 
LED tape that matches the, um, the, the thing, if you didn't notice. There's none of that. It was fluorescent lights with the varsity football team sitting right over there, like the coolest kids in school. They said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just stand up right now. And nobody else stood up, and I knew that I had to stand up. And, and like, I, I don't really get nervous, but man, that day I was nervous. And I, I stood up in the middle of the entire classroom, and I was the only one for maybe 10 seconds. And then someone else stood up, and I'm like, I don't know who you are, but we're now best friends. Thank you. <laughs> Can I tell you? Everything changed for me that day. Everything. Everything. And I've never looked back. I've never gone back. There's a lot of people who would be like, yeah, I came to Jesus and then I backslid. I've never backslid and I make mistakes all the time. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Ask Amber, she'll tell you. I'm not perfect. But I've never looked back. I've never gone back. I've never. And when I tell people that, when I tell them Jesus changed my life, what are they going to say? Nuh-uh. Look, argue with the facts and argue with my, argue with the evidence and argue with the Jesus and argue with whatever, but you can't argue with my story because it's my story. My life changed and it's never been the same. You can't argue with it. Look, you can have, I can sit here for the next hour and a half and explain to you all this different evidence that I have because I read the case for Christ. Like I've got a lot of evidence sitting on deck for y'all, but I can't give you it all because I've already gone way over time. But man, I can tell you this, that nothing, nothing will come close to your experience because I'll tell you, information doesn't bring transformation. Only an experience can do that. Only an experience. So if God is real, then how do we experience him? Well, Psalm 34 verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of y'all tasted the ice cream and saw that it was good. Anything that you're going to taste, what you have to do is you have to bring it close. You have to. Anybody ever play the game where you have your friend like throw you a Skittle? You're like, yeah, think, and it hits your tooth. You're like, ah. Well, that thing was far away, but before you could taste it, it had to come close. I believe the way that you experience God is simply by that. You just let, let down your guard. You open up your heart. You remove all the preconceived ideas. And with all of your questions and with all of your doubt, you come and you say, God, I believe, help me with my unbelief so that I can experience you. Because then that's when your life will truly change. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I want to pray for you. And I feel like God's doing something in this moment right now, even with you sitting on the floor and your butt's starting to hurt. You're going to stand up in about 45 seconds. Don't sweat it. But man, if you're in here and you'd be like, Man, Koya, I've been skeptical for so long, and this is just like exactly the message I needed to hear. And I've been laying up late at night asking myself, how do I know God is real? Is he actually real? And man, Corey, I was laying in my front lawn last week staring at the stars, wondering, is there something more? Because I feel empty. Maybe, maybe you are the one that sits there and you stare at the sunset, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I believe in God, but man, that is convincing right there. And now you're hearing about how creation points to a creator and the fact that you're alive, just that itself, 
points to the fact that God is real. And you would say, you would say, Pastor Corey, I don't just want the information. I want the experience. Can I tell you that that starts with you giving your life to Jesus, you bringing him close, you saying yes to Jesus. And tonight, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the chance to say yes. Like the day that I stood up in that Bible club when I was 15 years old, I'm going to give you that chance right now. And I'm going to give you that chance, and I'm going to ask you to respond in a simple way. I'm going to ask you to respond. But when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand. And in the same way, in the same way that you would have to reach out and grab the fork before you tasted food, I just want this to be your physical response to saying, yeah, I want to experience God. I want to give my life to God. That's somebody in this room, in this moment, right here, right now. This isn't just a summer night where we're hanging out and we came for water slides and ice cream. God has you here for a purpose. So if that's you, when I get to three, you just raise your hand. One, tonight's your night. Two, don't hesitate. Three, all over this place. Shoot your hand up. Man, hands are going up everywhere. Anybody else? Come on, don't be shy, don't be timid. Raise them on up. Hands going up everywhere. You say, I didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't even know if I believed in God when I walked in, but now I do, and I want to experience Him. I want to give Him my life. I want to let Him write my story. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Anybody else? Amazing, amazing. This is the best decision that you could ever make with your life. I promise you that. You can put your hands down. The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you rose from the dead. That's what we talked about. We actually have proof for that. It just says, confess that with your mouth and believe it in your heart and you'll be saved. It really is that easy. And since we're a family, we're going to pray this prayer together. Just right out loud, right after me. Would you say these words? Just say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a savior. So tonight, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you everything. Jesus, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I believe that you died and you rose from the dead. So I give you everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just tell you one thing? Uh, an invitation that I didn't give right there. You notice that I didn't say, for any, anyone who's a believer, who has had doubt and you want to give your life back to Jesus because doubting doesn't mean you don't believe it just means you're coming with two things belief and unbelief all you got to do is say help me with my unbelief here's what I think I think that I think that in a moment like this one of the best things that we could do is pause and take time to go with that point four and experience God because here's the thing is that if God is real if he's real and he really did say that wherever two or more are gathered, I'm there. Then if God is real and there's more than two of us and that means he's here, that means that we can experience him here and now. I love that Tamez said, Tamez said no, no matter where you have to go after this, know that God is here now. And I believe that we can experience God here now. Even if it's just for a few moments, even if it's just for one or two songs, we can experience God now. So all over this place, would you stand to your feet? Would you head to the front? And tonight, can we just take a few moments to worship God together?